Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller of The Bulwark. Happy after Election Day. Tim, why are you waving your hands at me? Are you, Is this a stop? Are you calling time out? I'm saying hey to all my friends. Um, oh. I'm, just, I'm running on fumes. You know, I've just been spending all this time together with the Oath Keepers and Steve Bannon and the Freaks in Arizona, and I'm just happy to be here with all of you. I'm I'm uh, I'm drinking from their tears, and you know, <laughs> so I'm just waving in jubilation. And I'm going to mispronounce a lot of words. I'm going to mispronounce a lot of words on this. That's broadcast. okay. We're recording on uh, Wednesday, November 9th in the morning. We uh, all three of us are coming off of just a couple hours of sleep, staying up late watching election returns. Sarah, do you want to give us a quick rundown of the state of play? Yeah. So basically, really good, solid night overperformance for democracy. Democracy overperformed. <laughs> democracy overperformed. USA. Democracy overperformed. I, I guys, look, I just want to say at the jump, I think we, we will get into some of the particulars of our analysis, but I would say in aggregate, if you've been listening to us, you got a pretty good sense of, uh, like, I think, uh, unlike a lot of the sort of Cable news chat. I think we were on a bunch of this stuff. Thought Evers would pull would would could pull it out, and he did in Wisconsin. That's a very important swing state. It will be contested. Uh, you know, going forward, it looks like Ron Johnson's probably going to pull it out, but like more narrowly than we thought. Um, and then uh, Whitmer just crushed in Michigan when and took uh, and and in doing so also brought along uh, Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State thereby uh, just totally destroying both Tudor Dixon and this uh, insane person, Christina Caramo. Tudor Dixon herself is insane, but by the comparing her to Christina Caramo, she's actually totally normal. Christina Caramo is like a QAnon crazy person. So we got And Michigan. a full trifecta, both, uh, both the state legislature and the Senate yeah. in Michigan. Full That's control. Right. Michigan That's now, right. blue state. And in Wisconsin, still have a, a veto power, which means so you still, you know, the, the Republicans don't take that completely over. And then in Pennsylvania, as we very much expected, Mastriano goes down in flames, in flames, and JBL's boy Fetterman pulls it out for the only flip we have right now, right? So then there's like a bunch of outstanding stuff, but Fetterman pulls it out. Oz, who we can get into this, but like really people thought the momentum was with him. Uh, but you know, he wasn't able, he wasn't able to people <laughs> those, those negatives that were really high, they were high. And then, so right now we're really waiting on Arizona and Nevada, but Arizona and Tim's going to tell us all about Arizona. In fact, I won't even go into Arizona. I'll just say that I'll, cause we can talk those through, but I would say Arizona is looking better than expected in many ways. And Nevada, people are bullish on Nevada. The Dems on the ground are bullish on Nevada, even though I'm looking at it kind of can't make quite heads or tails of it because it has a lot to do with like what's in the mail ballots that have to come in over like the next five days. But I would say that's that's kind of the map. The big the big disappointment heartbreaker for me is that uh, that my boy, Tim Ryan, uh, didn't even come close. But, you know, Ohio's out of reach. I think that's what we can take from this, even if you run a really great race, great campaign. But the rest of the map, and, and I mean, just watching right now, so like I am on a couple hours sleep, but I am feeling giddy at the prospect of Kevin McCarthy, who I stayed up. I've been up, I stayed up so far, but uh, at two, he came out and gave like an alternate universe speech in which he acted like <laughs> everything was good. We are just dominating. I'm like, bro, you guys might only, you might pick up eight seats. Like you might have a like seven seat majority. Or less. Maybe. Or less. And like, you and Marjorie Taylor Greene are going to be best friends, and I wish you all the horrible things that come with that. 
And and Sarah, you left out maybe the fifth or sixth most important thing, which is that as we are going to tape, Lauren Bobert's in an awful lot of trouble. I was going to get into Lauren Bobert in my Lauren review. Lauren yeah. might get might get pushed out into Madison Cawthorn world. So, uh, Tim, go ahead. Talk I want to take you to Lauren Bobert. I want to do. Um, I'm going to go big picture, just the biggest picture, and then I'm going to address the many Bullard commentators who have sent me recriminations over my over my predictions, which actually weren't as bad as some of them made it seem. But, you know, okay, well, I want to get into that. Bullwark um, commentators? Who who did this? Bull, Bullwark commenters. Oh, me, commenters. commenters. I thought you were like Ted Johnson and Will Salatin are oh. sending you mean emails. <laughs> no, no, no. The commenters have had some sternly worded uh, emails for me, but uh, which I appreciate the feedback. Okay, here's the biggest picture, which I, I just don't want to lose, is that we are now in the fourth cycle where there is a trend of center-left, pro-democracy, normie, democratic voters kind of controlling the majority of the country. Okay, Now, there have been some disappointments throughout all that, but if you go back to the 2020 primary, I wrote, and I, I just kind of re-upped this and, uh, for an article that will be out by the time this podcast is up, um, just about how I should have listened to March 2020 of myself. But in March 2020, I wrote about Joe Biden's silent majority, which is – you know, basically suburban moms and dads, older voters of color, people who are not very online, people who don't want to be part of a cult, people who are sick of the crazy shit. Okay. In 2020, they put Joe Biden over Bernie and, and Warren. In 2020, they obviously gave 80, Joe Biden 81 million votes and, and helped carry Georgia and Arizona. Those voters turned out in the 2022 Democratic primaries. has been a JVL thing, like against what Fox and all these guys say about the crazy lefties. No, actually, the, Demo- the normie won in all, almost all the Democratic primaries in 2022. Um, and now here we are in the general election where the same thing is happening. And, and, and I think that we just cannot like look away from that trend amidst all of our – all the craziness, all the scary stuff, all the doom casting. Like, like the middle is holding in that regard and they are mostly – you know, vote, voting for the Democrat, with few exceptions. They voted for Brian Kemp today in Georgia. You know, they voted for Mike DeWine in Ohio, right? Like, mostly, though, they're voting for the Democrat. Um, and so I, I think that's an important takeaway. Our, what, what Now, on the actual races, what I missed. So last week's podcast, and, and on my Snapchat show, so it's all out there, I, I thought that the Republicans would take about 20 seats and 52 Senate seats, okay? And, and as we sit here today, like, we just have to appreciate a little bit of luck, like, it wasn't that far off from that, right? And, and I got a great – I wish I should have grabbed this guy's name. I'm going to send you a note afterwards because I forget who it was. My inbox is a dumpster fire. But somebody pointed out to me on last week's show, I talked about how there are four coin flips basically in the Senate. And how I thought it would be 52 because I was like, I don't think that all four will go Republican. I did not consider that all four might go Democrat. Um, and, and so I split the baby. And this person said, you know, actually, that's not math. <laughs> your, your, your words, man. And these aren't coin flips, right? Like, they, they're related, right? Like, these things happen together. And in 2016, Donald Trump won basically four coin flips, you know, in these very small, narrow states that he won. And that might just very well happen here, where these all move together. It's narrow Democratic majorities. Uh, uh, this is true also in some House races where Democrats are going to win narrowly. And, and, you know, the luck kind of landed on the democracy side this time, thank goodness, in addition to other stuff that's happening. We're ta- we'll talk about abortion. We'll talk about all the other stuff. But, like, you know, this Georgia race is very close. I, I-, I think that the Senate race in Arizona is going to get close. We can go deeper into my Arizona experience. Nevada is is a 
true literal coin flip right now, not literal, but a true coin flip. Uh, and so I think that um, is, is basically what happens. We have to appreciate, you know, that, that luck was on our side on that front. Um, in addition to kind of this this sort of moment, you know, the 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 silent voter that I'm talking about, Bobert. And the last thing is, I, we've been on this. Bill Crystal has been on this. Bill Crystal, by the way, if you just listen to Bill Crystal, or even to, Sarah was was dogging cable news earlier. If you just listen to the median MSNBC pundit slash Bill Crystal, you would have been better prepared for what happened to you last night than if you were an, analyzing the real clear politics average. Much better prepared. Okay, so Bill was on this, but he introduced me to Adam Frisch, who who is running against Bobert, and then Adam is a prime example of this silent majority thing that I'm talking about. The Colorado three had always elected moderate people before Bilbert. It's a Republican district, but it had always been kind of moderate Republicans, or, or, and there was a moderate Democrat in there for a minute. And Bilbert is a lunatic, okay? And, and I think that all of, you know, you kind of worry that, like, okay, maybe these people just want lunacy. And, and Frisch ran this campaign that's just like, I'm just a business guy, okay? Don't worry about me, right? I've got Republicans that like me. It was a very Sarah Longwell friendly campaign. Like, I'm not scary. I'm not going to be, you know, putting litter boxes in the classroom and like doing Nancy Pelosi's bidding. Don't worry about it. He worked his ass off, went across the district, and enough people are just like, you know what? Yeah, this seems fine. I don't need this fucking lunacy in my life anymore. And that was, I think, just a big trend really everywhere except for DeSantis. Do you think Frisch is going to win? And so, again, this will now air later. We'll have more info. But based on my conversations with him and with other people in Colorado, he seems likely to win a narrow victory. Uh, like last night when we were talking, they were thinking maybe recount territory hundreds and then some more stuff is coming overnight. And now they're thinking he could win by a couple thousand votes. And we're, I mean, the Republicans still do have a path to 51 Senate, right? I mean, if they flip Nevada and Arizona. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and even to 52, if if uh, Walker beats Warnock, right, in a runoff. Yeah. I mean, conceivably, the Democrats could get to the exact yeah. prediction that we had, uh, you know, right. the I Republicans. Mean, it, could, well, yeah. yeah. This is what I want to, you know, everything seems great right now, but uh, <laughs> the luck could flip. That coin could flip right back yeah. the other way, you know, right, yeah. with the series of things. I do think the um, Arizona, let me just do a quick Arizona thing really quick, just so f- f- folks understand where, where we stand. Um, and, uh, you know, so I wrote about this. I've been with all these lunatics. Uh, we do just the Schadenfreude alert. There were some sad Republicans last night. Sarah always talks about the room of the sad normie Republicans that she had to be in. <laughs> I was with the MAGAs. Tell me everything. Nigel Farage is there. Bannon is there. Benny Johnson is there. I mean, all Jack Pizzagate Jack is there. I mean, Did you bring tears home with you? And can we? Have a ceremonial drinking. If Mark Fincham is roaming through the crowd, you know, like multiple Newsmax and OAN celebrities, I, like it, it, it was just the beating heart of the lunatic. It was Bannon's war room come to life in a, in a location, uh, plus with some rich donors and, and, you know, a handful of other Republicans at this at this election night party. There's a Kelly Ward, Chemtrail Kelly. Um, and, and, you know, there, there, this was it was packed. The, it was really hard to get into. Uh, people are drinking, and up until about ten o'clock, people are very excited. You know, they're all you know putting their eggs in the Florida to Arizona basket. Benny Johnson is doing his campy like shtick at the uh, at, on the MC. You know, they're playing their gay '80s music that they play for some reason at all these events, and uh, and people were into it. And and by about by about nine thirty or ten o'clock, I mean Hobbs goes up eighteen in the early vote. So I'm going to talk about the, like what this means, and 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 the people in there, 
they might be talking a big game, but like they they thought it was going south. Many of them were were you know a handful of them that do that wanted to talk to me. Some of the craziest ones like talking to me. I think is they like trolling me or whatever. Um, and so you know they they were thinking it was going south because Lake was doing worse than Biden was on the early and on the mail vote. Um, and so Lake comes out at ten. And gives just a lunatic, exactly what you would think she would do. You know, don't let them steal this from us, blah, blah, blah. And she's down 18. She's speaking at 10 o'clock down 18. <laughs> and, and even the people in the room that I'm standing next to are kind of like, this is weird. Like, we're losing by a lot. I mean, right? I mean, there are a handful of people next to me who are like, fraud, kill them. But then, like, there are another handful of people next to me that are like, why is she talking now? I mean, we're losing. This is not the normal state of affairs. That a lot people who had been to other election parties, not the new MAGA types, are like this is not how things normally work. Um, so it, after she spoke, got really sad and empty in there. But what happened later in the night is we kind of end up in Arizona with an inverse of the red mirage, and there's the, there's a blue mirage happening there. And the and despite the fact that Hobbs was outperforming Biden's early vote and mail vote number, the election the inverse happened, like where the election day vote. Lake is outperforming Trump. And so, you know, as we, we're sitting here, you know, it's nine here. It, it'll be Wednesday night when we get another big batch from Maricopa. Some of the stuff that's out is like the late mail, which is like I, I did a mail, but I ended up dropping it off. Right. Like that's the latest stuff to happen. And that ended up being kind of surprisingly good for Biden, if you remember, in 2020. So that is what the Hobbs folks are banking on is that like the late mail won't look like, you know, the other election day stuff um so i you know when i talk to the house people they think they will win narrowly the lake people think that they're going to win by you know five or whatever but they're they're you know delusional and um and so i think that that like five yeah i mean that's what they literally told me this morning we think we won by five i don't and i i don't i guess we just there's enough votes out that we don't really know I and mean, she narrowed the gap from 18 to three in like two dumps you know so i don't want to completely mock that possibility and so that is really what it comes down to if, if lake does end up winning by five and the most bullish lake assessments are true that probably brings masters across i don't think fincham even fincham's running seven points behind her but it might bring Masters across, and or we're in recount territory with Masters. Then, so you think Masters has a has a real chance? Because that's the I, I think no, no, no. I think a v- outside. I think a very outside okay. chance, and it looks bad. The the smart, the most smart person that I've talked to, who's been the most right this whole time, feels like Lake is going to win and Masters is going to come up short. But like that said, everyone's kind of just putting their finger in the wind because you just don't, you know, because we don't really know. It's not like the old days where. You know, you're like, how many precincts are left? And we can go look at the right. precincts and say, is that a good precinct for me or a bad precinct? Like, we don't know what the precincts are. Maricopa is one big county, and we don't know how many b- ballots are in these boxes that people dropped off, right? And so it's like, there's a there's or how a many mules are out there. unknown, or how many mules? Yeah, yeah exactly. So there's the a little problem. bit of a t- the tabulators. What's happening with the tabulators? So there's a little bit of a known unknown there in Arizona. Boy, it's all very exciting. Uh, I still think it could go south. Go ahead, Sarah. Well, I just. I just think we should spend just two seconds on Fincham and the fact that Fincham is somehow managing to run behind both uh, Lake and Kelly, which if if your frame, as mine has been this whole time, is like governors and secretaries of state are the number one thing that matters here for democracy and sort of certification going forward, like a lot of bright spots on this. Because like if it look, I, I think it would be t- terrible if, if Lake wins. Um, but if she has a Democratic secretary of state, uh, who's actually like presiding over elections. Like it just changes the dynamic to like two outright election deniers working together. And it's just a good check 
a good check on the system. And so I, I, I'm really thrilled about it. And I think actually, Sarah, not only that, you deserve credit for your work on this. And it's a, it's a sweep. Lake would be the only ex- exception to the sweep. It is Michaels, Dixon, Mastriano, and then a bunch of other ones that were never going to win. But those three. Uh, uh, and then Kemp. You have to mention Kemp in there, right? On the governor's yeah. things, right? That's right. So, and Raffensperger. Uh, Raffensperger, yeah. who ran ahead of Kemp. Yeah, right. And so that is that was the governor's. And then I was going to the Secretary of State's with Raffensperger, Caramo, you know, Crockett, New Mexico, people were worried about, Pennsylvania picked by the governor, Marchant still out in Nevada, right? So yeah. so conceivably, you know, we there there are are one or two downsides, but but a near sweep on like the core election denial um, candidates. And I do think this overlaps. I don't want to ignore abortion. I think there's a there's an overlapping election denial abortion extremism trend also that happened and we did talk about this a lot in these governor's races right where it's like you know i don't love the gas prices are going up but but like you're putting up someone that's going to ban abortion at one week and 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 maybe make donald trump an autocrat and like that's just that's just too far for people right that's just too far for enough people And, and i think that had republicans you know moderated on abortion a bit as particularly in those governor's races um, you know, and to keep more of a status quo, I, I think potentially not, you know, I, I think that obviously contributed to, to this. Those two things were working together in the Dems' favor. So I had a question for both of you on, on specifically this. Can Republicans moderate on abortion without losing as many voters as they pick up? Because there's a whole big chunk of the Republican base, which, I mean, the, the reason Republican politicians are taking these positions is because the base demands it of them. I don't know. Do you do? I mean, those those base voters aren't going to flip to D, but maybe they just don't show up. Right. I mean, this is you could run on 20 week bands or something. I mean, something in the ballpark, uh, you know, like that it is at least palatable to, to people. Um, you know, you're still going to they'll, they'll still have Dem motivation on that. But I just think that there's this this middle voter that we're talking about, the swing voter. I got one week bans, no exceptions, five week bans, bounties. I mean, that shit is insane for some of them. So I, I don't I think that they could you could modulate some. It is. But, but on the other hand, there's a there's like, you know, 10 percent, 30 percent of the Republican base that wants that. Maybe. But like, just look at DeSantis. DeSantis held the line at a 15 week ban. And like, he did great. No one's mad at him about it. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. He is sort of a special case because he's the, you know, the establishment team normal great white hope here. I don't know. I don't know. One thing before we throw to uh, to our sponsor. I have seen all of the, this was terrible for Trump stuff. And I can see that certainly. On the other hand, uh, just as a purely analytical matter, Trump does give you something when he's on the ballot. So when Trump is on the ballot, you lose a bunch of suburban educated voters and you gain a bunch of low propensity, low income, low education voters who otherwise don't come out. And that can work out okay for for Republicans. Um especially for Republicans not named Trump, right? This is why they did very well. They outperformed him in 2016, and they outperformed him in 2020. And it's because they got the benefit of being normie Republicans, but they also got all of his voters who he pulled in. When Trump's not on the ballot, uh, you get sort of the counterbalanced version of that. And that's when you get 2018 or 2022. 
where you're still Republicans are still repelling those suburbanite voters, but they're not bringing out as many of the deplorables as they need to. I think that's right. Although I got to say, I actually think one of the successful things that Democrats did or that was done um, and and, in part because Trump did it himself is that, you know, I said like Trump is going to be on the ballot for the people he attracts, but he might not be on the ballot for the people he repels. And so you got to put him on the ballot. And I think that the Mar-a-Lago stuff, I think him, you know, going out and doing rallies in some of these places, like I think Trump let himself and, and the candidates themselves being very Trumpy, you know, like Dr. Oz had this schizophrenic strategy of like doing, uh, you know, big rallies with Trump, but also hanging out with like Susan Collins and Brian Fitzpatrick. And so people were kind of like, what, what, you know, and, and so I think that uh, Trump, yeah, had his, uh, he look. He and the candidates that he pulled across the line. This is this is where I just I just want to say one thing about how the focus groups really bore out the swing voters. I kept saying, I don't know these swing voters. Like they're really pissed off at Biden. They talk about uh, the economy. They talk about crime. They talk about inflation. But when you get to vote choice, vote choice, they're going for the Democrats, and it's because they say the Republican candidate is too extreme, often because of their position on abortion and sort of broadly just like crazy person. That's what happened. Yeah, I don't know. This, you know Can I you hold it? Can you hold it, Tim? Yeah, well, and because it'll make people want to say to the ads. Because I'm going to offer maybe some unfounded jubilation. Okay, like we're, I'm just going to be a little irrationally, irrationally optimistic about things on the other side. All right. So uh, I want to give a big thank you to our sponsor, Bolin Branch. When I climbed into bed last night for my three and a half hours of sleep. Uh, it was a tremendous comfort to wrap myself not only in the warm glow of democracy, but in long <laughs> staple cotton sheets uh, from Bull and Branch, which are the best sheets I've ever I've ever had. Again, I, I say this every week and you guys make fun of me and you roll your eyes at me, but they are both both supple and substantial, which is what you want. They're, supple they're just, is just a weird word. I'm not rolling my eyes at I, you. Supple's a weird word, yeah. I don't- it's a great word. Yeah, I have all the best words. I'm like Pete Buttigieg in many ways. Many people are saying. I'll just say for my part, all we do is just wash them and put them back on. We are, we, I need to go get us another, because we're not using other sheets anymore. Because you can't go back, right? Once you've had really, really great sheets, you can't go back. And the stuff Bowl and Branch is giving is fantastic. Uh, it is, we are, we are into holiday season gift giving. I have already bought many Christmas presents uh, Bowl and Branch makes a great Christmas present for people because sheets will be weirdly nice sheets are something that people tend to be resistant to buy for themselves. You know, they think, oh, that's too extravagant. I can't do that for myself. So they're a great present, you know, because you can rationalize and say, you know what? No, no, they, de- they deserve this. I'm going to give it to them. Once they have it in their lives, they'll never be able to go back. Right. You can't go back. You go trying to sleep on what you used to, and it feels like you're on sandpaper. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm preparing, I'm preparing my, my irrational, my irrational jubilant rant. All right. Bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with bowl and branch bedding. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code next level at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowl and branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. Promo code. Next level. Timothy, go. Next level. That's the next levels. Next level's the code. Um, so here's the thing. We said, all of us people that hate Donald Trump and also care about our democracy, said uh, after January 6th, 
that, that the Republican, that what you just laid out would have been true. There was going to be short-term political pain for, for throwing Trump overboard because you're going to lose some of the enthusiasm, some of the thing I've been talking about, the weird Oath Keepers that I saw at the, at, in Queen Creek the other night, and, and you'd just lose some of what Trump brought. But there'd be medium to long-term gain because you don't have to deal with this fucking bullshit anymore, right? And, and, we, and that was the case I made to the remaining normie Republicans that I, would call, I called, and the, my friends were still working in the Senate. I was just like, why isn't Tom Cotton doing this? Like, you can end this problem. Like, there'll be a couple of you will go down. Like, there'll be a couple of you that go down, but long-term, it'll be better for the party. They didn't do it. And yeah, I just don't think you can. I, I, the, the, they missed the chances passed. Okay, this notion that like people are just going to move on to Ron DeSantis and that Donald Trump, what is what are they? Is Donald Trump going to disappear into a black hole? Is he going to stop? Well, see, the median Republican voter is going to go race by race and look through and weigh candidate quality and what was gettable. And they're going to say, huh, I believe that Donald J. Trump cost us one (laughs) point eight points in the Arizona race. Therefore, I must be for Ron DeSantis. No. No, look, the guy lost the 2020 election by 7 million votes and the voters didn't turn away from him because they thought he was a loser. Then they're not going to turn away because a bunch of people at National Review have their panties in a wad. The Republicans did worse than they should have. There are some, and Sarah, you can talk about this next. There's some in the folks groups, right, who are pragmatic, right, and in the polls who say that they'll go again, they want somebody who can win. So there are some of those. It's not like there's none of those people. But the other people, the full magnets still exist. They're still going to be there. Donald Trump's still going to be talking to them. He's not. He's not going to paint in Midland and disappear. He's not going to move to Brazil and hang out with you know Jair Bolsonaro on Elba, okay, for former autocrat Elba. He's still going to be at fuck in fucking Florida. He's still going to be on people's TV. He's still going to love attention. He's still going to create. He's still going to talk about the secrets that he knows about Ron DeSantis. It's possible that Ron DeSantis could beat him, but but Donald Trump is not going quietly into that night, okay? And and the voters that I'm seeing here in Arizona, there's a big bunch of them that are going to be with him till the end. And they're going to believe, especially if Lake ends up going down and if those numbers are wrong and she goes down short, they're going to believe that it was stolen again. And he's going to have Carrie Lake out there saying it. And the notion that, that like they can just turn the page on that now is is just folly. It's fantasy. And and I think that like the thing that cost Republicans this time, like seems to be is going to continue to cost them for a while still. And like I, I think that there's a couple more election cycles of pain ahead o- over this because I, I don't see any path out of it. Sarah, talk to me about all of the DeSantis 2024 blood in the water, best day of his life. He is. He is now the odds-on favorite to be the Republican nominee. All the. Tell me what your your views are on this. Okay, let me just do a coda to what Tim said here because it's so important. Here's what Republicans have to deal with going forward. Everybody right now is doing this weird thing. Like, I, I'm glad that all the 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 Twitterati anti-antes are like, this is Trump's fault, and we're ready to move on. Which, by the way, for the last two weeks, all of them have been so out in front of themselves on red tsunamis and we're going to destroy and like <laughs> whatever happy with happy with all these candidates that you know you got perfectly fine and now they're all like this is Trump's fault blah, blah, blah. people want to move on cuz look at this election okay let me just tell you there are primaries and there are generals they are different kinds of races donald trump pulled all those crappy candidates 
across the finish line in the Republican primaries because Republican primary voters want those kinds of candidates. And so the box that Republicans are now in, and this is just from a broad analysis, I'd say this is like the main thing that you, that I come away with from the swing voters is like, they put these crazy candidates up, they're poisoned to swing voters. Bing, bang, boom. Like that is what happened uh, in 2020 with Trump. It's what's happening right now. And so they've got a problem. They're boxed in on this and the idea. And so this is where we get to DeSantis. So I wrote a long thread yesterday about, which I thought maybe you might be mad at me, JBL, because I didn't I write it for the bulwark. I just like, you know, just ranked it out on Twitter. I'm sorry, but I got all annoyed at all these people who were acting like, you know, Ron DeSantis, it's obviously going to be Ron DeSantis. And the fact is, and there were a bunch of people sort of tweeting this about, oh, you know, anecdotal evidence, like Tim Alberto was like standing in line asking people and a bunch, a bunch of Republicans were saying, I don't want Trump to run. I want DeSantis. Okay. As you have- He was in suburban Atlanta. <laughs> no shit. Right. Yeah. No, I, that's right. As you guys have heard me say many, many times, number one, number one name that comes up in the focus groups is Ron DeSantis. And after Trump, if you say, if Trump doesn't run, who do you want? They say Ron DeSantis. And there are many people, many people who will say, I don't want Trump to run. Like we're ready to move on to these other new stars. They want DeSantis. That is a chunk of the party. It is available to them, potentially, to a candidate who can harness it. My question is, these guys all think that Ron DeSantis is the God's gift to politics. And what I want to know is, I have seen no evidence that Ron DeSantis is the kind of politician who can stand toe-to-toe with Donald Trump in an arena while he has rally after rally where he clowns DeSantis, where he has his crazy Oath Keeper supporters menacing DeSantis, where, um, you know, all of these election deniers that Trump did help pull, that, that Trump endorsed, who were all in safe places, so they are now, they all now have won, not in the swing states, but out in safe seats, who all love Trump and all ran in Trump's image. Like, I don't think these guys have an accurate sense of the base. This was always the case. Trump owns the base, and the base is sufficiently large to win Republican primaries. Well, so the base is Trumpier because the Trump drove out a bunch of those marginal R voters. That's right. Who who right who are now either not Republican voters or who are swing voters. And so the base is Trumpier precisely because Trump has failed, right? I mean, this is it's it's a vicious cycle, not a virtuous yeah, cycle. Yeah, and can I throw one other thing out there? Let's say that their their wet dream comes true and that Ron DeSantis is up for it, and that he does squeak out a victory with Donald Trump, or even not even squeak out. Maybe he wins. Let's get, let's just do their porn. Let's say Ron DeSantis 69, Donald Trump 31. Okay. Um, like, let's say that happens. What do you think is happening with that 31? You know, you think that 31 is all getting oh, they'll on just board? be loyal soldiers. Yeah, like yeah all totally. Be, all of them? Some of them will. Do you think, what do you think is happening to Donald Trump? You think he's going to go be the warm-up act at the DeSantis convention? Oh, yeah. In 2024? Yeah, he'll just be a good shoulder. He'll he'll know that he's been beaten. Yeah, go, go talk about his pal Ron and talk about how he and how he's going to go out there and get people to, to go vote. And, and do we think Ron in that primary is going to be able to appeal to the Brian Kemp, Mike DeWine, Chris Sununu voter? While he's running a primary against Donald Trump, or is he going to have to try to beat Donald Trump by going crazier on how we should prosecute Fauci harder and build a bigger fucking wall? Like, what do you think Ron DeSantis is going to look like? If you looked at last night and thought, oh, man, I, I think what America is looking for is is to is to Floridify America. I think what America wants is don't say gay and and and, and trolling Disney over a lesbian kiss and like, you know, yelling at reporters and whatever, all the things people like about Ron DeSantis. 
I, I think you're on drugs. The types of Republicans that did well in the re- in the rest of America, north of DeSant- north of DeSantis, stand were the like much more mild mannered ones. You know, the ones who were much more technocratic. Like those are the ones that that really performed well when you're looking at at the swing states, um, that, which Florida is not anymore. So I just you know, maybe we're maybe we're sniffing our own glue this morning, and we're on a high post midterm high. But I, I yeah, think, I that, think that, so. that 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 fantasy is like something that looks real good at two tweet lengths. You know, if you're uh, if you're an anti anti, and like when you start to game it out, like starts to get pretty damn ugly. And this is you guys are more on Twitter than I am. Uh, roughly, if you had to estimate the number, how many anti anti Republican and conservative types did you see last night saying? Brian Kemp should challenge Trump <laughs> because Kemp Mike DeWine. So Mike, De, it's, it's it's Mike DeWine's moment. I'm sorry, Ron DeSantis ran against a tomato can of a of an opponent in a <laughs> state which has been trending ever more Republican for like four cycles, and uh, Brian Kemp went in a a purple state against a very high quality opponent uh, and beat her pretty soundly. And yet, the, the all of the anti antis there's crickets on the you know the, this this and that shows you that DeSantis isn't a, an argument. DeSantis is a talisman. The idea of DeSantis twenty twenty four is something that people who don't want to come to terms with with the reality of Trumpism just hold on to and fetishize over. Right? They just they just rub it, rub it, rub it. And uh, I. <sighs> I, I hate that, and I find it so despicable. Yeah. And, well, here's the other thing about it, being a talisman. It also, it's it's a strategic, it's like a three, it's their own little 5D chess, because they think that they can get the MAGA voters with DeSantis without having to do the whole deal, you know, right. without having to do the <laughs> dance, the striptease, right? They don't think they can get them with Kemp. So it's a strategic move, right? Like, that's what they think they're doing. Because if it was legitimate, you would think that, you know, you don't see on the New York Post cover, for example, today, like the future DeSantis v. Whitmer, right? Like if this was actual analysis, which is right, which is like both parties need to move on. We need to look at who had the strongest night in, 20, in 2022, you know, for the next generation. Like that's what they'd be saying. And to the same, you know, how what percentage of the people on Twitter said Brian Kemp and who are talking about Gretchen Whitmer 2024, the same percentage, zero, right? Because it's not fucking actual analysis it's wish casting and, and a little strategic ploy can i ask you guys quickly just i don't want to spend a little bit of this about westmore in maryland who ran a pretty impressive campaign got a pretty impressive win flipping another governor's seat and uh it seems like an awfully impressive guy am i wrong to think that this guy could have a future nationally yeah i, well, I think that the damn bench issues are a little bit i look i'll let sarah talk about her favorite abigail spamberger who i was with um you know yes two days ago i know that my content has all been arizona focused but i was in washington for patty mary tiffany smiley arizona virginia for spamberger pennsylvania for oz the oz people were pretty bullish on monday night let me tell you pretty bullish <laughs> in the at the oz rally um <laughs> tough titties um so but i you know there, there are some other i think spanberger is a virginia governor maybe right when that opens back up there are others but on, on wes you know uh, he's really good he's really talented um me and jim did that profile of him jim swift and i you know i was on the phone with we were on the phone with him for a long time just saying like you, he has the skills he, he has a great life story uh, third elected black governor 
in America, his, in American history. I didn't realize it was that few. I mean, that, it's just it's another you know part of the awakening. Only three elected black governors. There've been a couple that were lieutenant governor and, and ascended. And he's really good. He has a little bit of a weird thing, which I mentioned in Decision Dex is projecting a runoff in Georgia that's coming across. Um, there's a little bit of weirdness with his book. Like he's got a little bit of like a exaggeration, you know, kind of his, you know, some of his uh, little habit, a politician's habit to gild the lily a little bit. Um, but you know who else had that habit? Joe Biden. He got he got it under control after a while and became the president. So you know, uh, that's I feel my, like Donald Trump may have done some exaggerating. Donald too. Trump has he? It's hard. To okay, say. well, so we've had two exaggerators, a, a small one and a big one recently as president. So maybe Bill Clinton might yeah, have done that yeah, once okay. or twice. It's you know who can, uh, say? who can say. So anyway, that would be my only flag about Wes Moore. But I besides that, the dude is is awesome. And I do think that these wins were important for Democrats. And the Whit- Whitmer thing, I think, is real, just as far as kind of, it might not solve their short term problem, which is a very old president and kind of a VP that's in eh, but 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 as a medium term, uh, you know, it, it helped, you have to win these races to have a bench. And this is this is something I really feel like we have been talking about, that has come to fruition, which is that 2022 had the had the ability to create a new generation of Democratic stars. And we got Whitmer, we got Wes Moore, we got Josh Shapiro, who just dominated and I think has been really impressive. I mean, you get a, a, a governor that popular with a with a good background on crime as attorney general uh, who is is popular in a swing state like Pennsylvania. That's a must win for Democrats. Oh, boy. And, you know, look. And, and you know, look, I, I get annoyed at Democrats for their identity politics, blah, blah, blah. But like you got a Jewish guy from Pennsylvania. You got a woman in, in Michigan. You got a black guy in uh, in Maryland. And I'm looking at this crowd and I'm like, that is promising. That is a that is a really it's a talent, talented bench. They're getting somewhere. And it, it makes me feel better about and Abigail Spanberger. Um, did she talk about me, Tim, when you were with her? Did she mention me? I mean, the, the Republicans can say basically the same thing. We got Carrie Lake in Arizona and Herschel Walker in, in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, but the Democrats <laughs> right. needed it, though. You know, there was a gap in need. I did, Abigail didn't mention you, but she's probably listening. I said hello. Big, uh, big bulwark person. Had she had things gone poorly, which I which I knew that which I did not think that they were going to, but I joked that like she might want to, you know, be the new chairman emeritus or something with the bulwark. But um, uh, she did. She is a reader. I guess I'll say that she's reading our content um, and a great American. Okay, but so she didn't say she didn't say say hi to Sarah. She, did, she, did, she didn't particularly say Sarah Longwell. I love her so much. She's the best person. I don't in the understand world. why you couldn't just lie to me on this front. Like you could have just made it up. You okay. didn't have to tell me. The Sorry, truth. I, I'm okay. my brain's moving slow. I would have. But I'm but I'm I'm super. Listen, last night this was last night really was. Um, I, you guys remember 2020 uh, and how how the expectations were so different. And we were like pretty depressed on election night. But last night, you know, I was waiting for those Wexton results to come in because that was the high going to be their high watermark. If because they got this guy hung cow who is in sort of southern Virginia or or, or mid Virginia, uh, who was really talented, like a really good Republican. But he was in a he was running against a Democrat, Jennifer Wexton, who's fine. But that would have been like wave, like like big wave, even like right. looking at tsunami. And so when she won against him. Because uh, he was like not an election denier uh, at all. He's actually quite an attractive candidate for the Republicans. Then I was just like living on Spanberger, <laughs> like checking because that was the that was the like the, for the some tsunami more Spanberger was Wexton. into my veins. <laughs> the, the 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 tsunami was Wexton. The 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 wavish was going to be if they got Spanberger and they didn't. And she's a bright political future. She is very tall, 
for people who don't know her. And uh, I've, it's very important I've been told to be as a short person that it's quite important to be tall for politics. How tall is Alyssa uh, Slotkin? So That's another winner in the Sarah Longwell oof. Alyssa Slotkin, oh man. I mean, yeah, my, my, my 2018 girls, they really came through. I am, I am, uh, I'm just, I'm so thrilled. Because they, that should be the future. I mean, I look, I don't want to crush you, but uh, after your least Stefanic experience, maybe slow your roll on giving your heart away. That's, that's, that's fine. That's fine. But these these politicians will break your heart. Uh, Tim, you had something for Sarah. You wanted to ask her about Georgia. So on last Friday night before I left on my whirlwind tour of America uh, to go to all these campaign events, I said real America to real America. I said to my husband. So here's the thing. LSU plays Alabama tomorrow. We haven't beat Alabama in like 12 years. We've been one time in the last 12 years. It's very unlikely that this happens. But if LSU beats Alabama, they will likely be going to the SEC championship in Atlanta, which is held three days before the Georgia runoff. And so I said, if this, if this, unique, if this unique chain of events happens where LSU beats Alabama and Georgia goes to a runoff, I am going to work long well and get dispatched to Georgia for somebody, I don't know, for something, for the bulwark, or for, I don't know, whatever. I don't know, do a focus group, or you can you come up with the assignment. I don't know. But I will be there on the ground in Georgia for the runoff. So you don't have to, you don't have to promise anything right now. But I just want to throw that out there, that that very unlikely series of events has occurred, and it seems silly for me not to be in Georgia right there for the SEC championship and this runoff. That, that, you know, could decide the Senate. Who knows? Sure, sure. Can we just, uh, let's, we'll, we'll table that one and talk about that. But let's talk about Georgia, like Georgia proper. This, so, so. We're tabling it? Wow. That was ever, the listeners noticed. That was a very fast table. Okay. So <laughs> FYI, I guess I'll be there on my own dime. I'm there on my own dime. So if you, our Atlanta listeners, want to contribute, if Sarah doesn't want to do so, I might stay at your guest room or something. JVL gives the assignments. Uh, I just. I, I don't, so it, you publish. talk to him about you it. You just publish. Yeah, that's right. I uh, just find the money for your junkets. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing about the here's the thing about the Georgia runoff that I want to talk about. Right. So while we've been on decision desk, calls it uh, for runoff, but Warnock has been up uh, over Walker. Okay, he's he he wasn't going to cross fifty percent threshold, but last time before I got came down here, he was at like forty nine point two, um, and and he was maybe running a point ahead of Walker, but the Libertarian in the race had shaved two points out that you got to assume is coming from Walker, I think. Um, and so this is going to go to a runoff. Uh, and we've been talking about like what the dynamics of that runoff are going to be. I have been like, and I've never quite had the answer for this. Cause for me, it's always, there's been two big things. One is how big is Kemp's tail? Uh, right. And so Kemp, Kemp has a big tail, big, big win last night over Stacey Abrams. Okay. 49.4. That's pretty good for Warnock. And then, so so that's one thing that's now no. They're not going to have the Kemp turnout machine, right? It's better than he was, especially. Look, I think that's better than what was Warnock in twenty twenty in the first round. I think I don't think I don't think he was at forty one. Was there a Libertarian? Do you remember? Um, yeah, in both, I think, and Purdue in also. Both. Purdue had Ossoff, but Purdue was like at like forty nine point eight or something, right? And um, uh, and, uh-huh. and I forget what the Warnock first round. Was. So 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 there's that element, and so and then you take the Libertarian out for the runoff. Uh, but the question is, is like, is Georgia going to determine control of the Senate? Because if Georgia is not going to determine control of the Senate, and this is, I guess, a question for you guys that I've been trying to think through, do they play 
blood sport for it or do they just let walker go because he's a he's going to humiliate them as a senator anyway i I think they got to play blood sport no matter what i think they do too i i I think that they do too but i I just think it's it's a little bit harder to juice the enthusiasm i guess is what i'm going to say so the republicans play blood sport no matter what like this the strategy the strategist the donor but like if you're trying to squeeze a couple extra million out of some depressed donors that might be a little harder right I think that if you are the nose holding Walker voter, which there was some, yep. you know, it's like, am I really going to go out again in December to vote for this asshole that I didn't even like if it doesn't matter, right? Like, it's a lot easier to convince the nose holding Walker voter to go if it's like, you're not really going out for Walker, you're going out for for Mitch and for tax cuts and whatever, you know, I do think that there'll be an enthusiasm issue for Herschel. And then, by the way, circling back to our second topic, Donald Trump. Not dead. Nope. Not disappeared. Not painting in Midland. Still alive. So, like, what's he going to do? Is he going to go there and scare and scare the the Georgia Red Dogs away again, just like he did last time? Is he going to not go? And there'll be there'll be drama around that, where some of the people in MTG's district don't sh- don't show up. I think that all of that is is possible, and I, and so I do think that that it's a much better situation for Republicans as far as unity is concerned. And, and momentum if, if it's a decide, Senate deciding thing. And for the Democrats, just really going the Democrats is worth mentioning as we think long-term as we all start to, you know, get, get bullish on things. The 24 map is really bad for Democrats compared to this year's map. Really bad. Terrible. And so like, really bad. If the Democrats are at 51, if they do hold on here with Kelly and Masto, that's, it's actually an important seat for the Democrats. I mean, A, because fuck Herschel Walker and you don't want this asshole in the Senate, but B, it, it adds a little bit of cushion. Yeah, for for going forward when you've got all these all these red state, you know, Sherry yep. Brown and Manchin and Tester who have to defend themselves. So so I, I think that that's a real thing as far as as far as an enthusiasm gap based on the stakes. Yep. 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 All right. Listen, before we get out of here, I want to we've been much too upbeat for my comfort level. And I would like to remind both of you and viewers that uh, J.D. Vance is going to become a United States senator. <laughs> J.D. Vance. He did it. He got away with it. He beat Josh Mandel by like five votes in the primary and only because Donald Trump pulled him across the line. He then beat a actual real Ohioan who, uh, you know, ran a great campaign against him. He J.D. Vance himself sort of barely tried. Uh, And then last night in his victory speech, name checked, I think, 34 different people that he thanked, none of whom's name was Trump. He's Rolo Tomasi. He's the guy who got away with it. And I don't know about you, but I find it hard to enjoy anything in life knowing that there are guys like J.D. Vance out there getting away with it. Thoughts? But can I, yeah, can I put an optimistic spin on that? Optimistic spin. Uh, So J.D. Vance is a craven pugilist, and I loathe him. However, the J.D. Vance that we saw three years ago was like a pretty normal guy. In fact, he was one of us. That guy's in there. It's probably his true self. Like the guy that he's been cosplaying the Trumper. And I think that as far as having like really, my guess is, is he goes to the Senate and he acts pretty normal. No, no, no. I don't. Th- you think that J.D. Vance becomes the Marjorie Taylor Greene of the no, Senate? No, not Marjorie really? Taylor Greene. But I think that he, 
um, thinks that he has a unique brand as whatever the pop, the smart populist, right. You know, who could offer this deal. And I, I do. And I, and I think that he's, he has gained a deep well of resentment for the elites that shunned him after he was praised by them vociferously. So it's unclear to me why that bothers him so much, but I think that he does not like that they've turned on him. And, um, and I think that he does, I think that he's going to, you know, do the, we shouldn't fund Ukraine and the whole deal. Um, I, I don't, I don't know that he's going full Marjorie Taylor Greene, but I think that he'll be a pain in the ass. Yeah. You know what though? The thing is like, there's just like a crowd of boys like that now in the Senate, right? You've already got, that's what Holly is. That's yep. sort of what Cruz is. And like JD thinks he's running for president. Not this cycle, but he thinks he's running for president at some point. Oh. As sure as I am sitting here, you pencil him in and for 20, okay. uh, 2020. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's ridiculous. 100%. Well, I'm just happy. I'm turning it back to a happy note. that If this podcast had aired last week, JVL would have caveated his 2028 presidential prediction by saying, if we still have a democracy in 2028. So even dark JVL... There's a little bit of light and optimism in there, you know, that the fact that you feel like we're going to make it to 2028 now. We're going to make it. Yeah, but JBL, it's also on, on some of your analysis, you know, and, and we can talk more about this on, on Friday from the Secret Pod. But like, you know, I think that one of the open questions really was how much people were going to go with the economy. And, you know, you had started to kind of towards the end be like, yeah, the fundamentals reasserting themselves or whatever. But prior to that, prior to that, uh, you'd, you'd kind of been like, I don't know that I like, I don't You mostly wanted to fire people into the sun for, for caring about this, but like, you also thought maybe it wasn't going to be like a, a, a thing that dominated people as much. Um, and I think it turned out, I, I hear a bunch of, by the way, the, this, this idea that, that abortion is an economic issue. People should just stop with that. That is not a thing. Um, but the idea that uh, people were willing to think about democracy slash go against these extremist candidates, like, and the economy didn't, I mean, it just didn't sweep Republicans in. That that's pretty consistent with where you were. JVL yeah. was right. Where's your JVL was right T-shirt? You were you, this whole time you mocked me and Sarah, and you're like, you guys are care about gas prices, and the gas prices aren't that bad. And we we're like, what are you talking about? They are bad. And you're like, well, in comparison, they're not that bad. It's not a big of a deal. And the people did what you wanted. The people did what you wanted. They're like, yeah, I'll, I'm going to eat this extra buck on the gas pump because, and deal with that because a lot of crazy shit's happening out there in the world and I don't want these lunatics in charge. So I, I, I want to have like a, a real deep discussion on this at some point, not today, but I'm going to just put this as a bee in your bonnet. I think that the right track, wrong track numbers in America are basically broken as an indicator. Uh, right track, wrong track used to be a really important political indicator. And I think we've been sort of heavy wrong track now for something like 16 of the last 18 years. When you look at it, if I was going to guess, and again, I'm just sort of putting this forward as a thesis, I'm not prepared to defend it. What's going on is that the hyperpolarization has made it like we like the poll where like 75% of America thinks that democracy is in peril. And like on the top line, you're like, oh, that's good. People understand what's going on. And then when you look into the numbers, you realize, oh, no, the people who want to like overthrow democracy think that democracy is in peril. <laughs> I think that's what's happened with right track, wrong track, where it's the polarization has made it so that no matter what's happening, you're going to have the vast majority of the country saying we're on the wrong track because of negative and partisanship and, and other stuff that's going on in terms of how we view the world. Well, yeah, because you have a baseline 45. Negative. Right. 
right? Like you're starting at 45 negative, no matter who you are. Like it just, as long as you have an R, unless you like are a non-political person, unless it's, you know, you know like the, 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 we're right track, wrong track is starting at 45. Well, you're not going to be non-political because it's about the president. You're starting at 45 immediately. And so then any, any issues on your own side, but also people yeah. look at it and like, you know, so if you're a Democrat, right, you can look at America and say wrong track, not because of oh, anything right. that's going on, but because of Joe like, the, not because of Joe Biden even, but because of like, well, look at what the Republican, right. you know, everything's terrible, right? They're trying to, right. they've, they've overturned Dobbs. I, I just think that the 50-50 the country, a, a deeply polarized 50-50 country means that no matter what's going on and who's in charge, basically everybody's unhappy most of the time. Yeah. So I, I agree with this, except I, I, we should dig into this because I'm not sure it's the polarization is quite telling the story. I think you're right. Cause we, I think part of it is right. The now both sides view the other side as an existential threat. And so that gives you not just wrong track, but like really bad wrong track. Like the other side's in charge, you are catastrophizing. Uh, I think the question is, is like, why does it just like sit in the 70s? I, I was doing a um thing. On, I did it an hour on WNYC the other day. And I was talking about how sad these, I was like, there's nobody sadder than these swing voters right now. Like when you listen to them, you know, there's a, and he was like, well, what about, you know, last cycle? Were they happier last cycle? And I was like, oh no, they were so depressed about COVID or whatever. And he's like, well, what about before that? And I was like, well, I was really talking to Trump voters who were dissatisfied with Trump. So they hated. And I was like, you know what? Actually, now that I think about it, no one's ever been happy. Now, granted, I'm looking for persuadables. So I think I'm talking to the unhappiest people, but there is something to be said for, we maybe be in a mindset in this country where we have lost that sense of a positive future and it's creating a much more negative perspective on future outlooks. Yeah. That's a, that's the subject of a 7,000 work piece. All right, listen, we got to go. Great show guys. Listen, hit the subscribe button, uh, follow us along, go to the bulwark.com sign up for all the great stuff we're doing over there. We got Charlie Sykes's morning newsletter every morning for free. We got great pieces put out by smart people like Sarah and Tim, with no ads or anything. You just get it. Get all that stuff for free at thebulwark.com. Thanks a lot. We will be back. Follow us on our socials and get our comments. I'm stuck in Maricopa County the rest of the week still. You You have nothing to do. I'm going to keep you posted. I'll be doing little dispatches on the board. All right. Guys, we will see you again next week. Bye. Bye.